I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Thanks, guys, for leading us in worship. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here at Kairos. This is the kind of place where we want to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. One of the ways that uh, we do that is we take Eucharist uh, every month. Uh, that's just a Greek word and a fancy word that means thanksgiving or grace. Uh, it's come to signify and symbolize the Lord's Supper or communion. It's just an awesome opportunity for us to kind of pull it back. I love it. Uh, Worship-wise, few instruments and a few voices so that your voices can rise to the top. When you're singing, there's nothing better for my soul than to hear us united singing about the name of Jesus and how much we need him. For me, it's an opportunity to speak less so that God can speak more. The table is the sermon tonight. You get to truly taste and see that the Lord is good. And I, as your pastor, I, I just hope that you come to discover the beauty and the sacredness and the holiness of the gospel mediated through the symbols of wine and wafers. And it is truly a remarkable experience that Jesus has invited us to his table. Um, uh, we're in a series called Alchemy of Joy, and we're walking through Philippians chapter 1, and we're looking at how the gospel transforms our suffering and sadness into unspeakable joy. Now, that's uh, something I'm having to consistently remind myself of. And on most days, if I'm honest with you, joy is not my reflex. It is a conscious choice that I make. I learned this song when I was a kid. Any of you other church rats in here know this one? J-O-Y, down in my heart. Three people, thank you, great. <laughs> deep, deep down in my heart, Jesus put it there, and nothing can destroy, destroy, destroy. Church music has come a long way, you're welcome, <laughs> since when I grew up. Um, but I have to be reminded of this, um, I'm in the final phases of doing doctoral work, and I am not an academic. And so I am overwhelmed with formatting and proper grammar and blah, 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 footnote. Blah, 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 footnote. Are you happy now? Um, so I have approval issues, and I'm working through that. But the good news is I'm doing a ton of reading about things that I absolutely love, and I'm reading smarter people than me, and I'm doing tons of research on young adults. Bad news is the research is not that great, guys. Um, I love you, but people who write in books don't. Um, I'll, I'll spare you some of the stats about the young adult millennial generation um, and just give you this book title. Um, the author is Janae Twinge, I believe is how you pronounce her name, and she wrote a book called Generation Me, Why Young Americans Are More Confident, Assertive, Entitled, and More Miserable Than Ever goes on to call your generation an army of little narcissists. You're welcome. She tries to trace that back to the 80s and 90s parenting movement of self-esteem, where you got a trophy for everything that you did, were told you were special and that you can do anything in your life, and now at the first drop of criticism, you have a nuclear meltdown. Two things you need to know about that. One, I don't agree with her. Uh, I'm appreciative of her research, but I love that generation and I'm for you. Um, and other research will say that your generation has lived through the largest seismic shifts in culture and technology than any other generation. You're also 
You just want what every other generation wants. You just happen to be the one that's on deck right now. You want the same thing as your parents or the generation before you. You just have unique circumstances and obstacles that people didn't have to deal with before. And so it's with that in mind that I, I wanna tackle a little bit head on the, the, the sense of entitlement I think that you hear thrown around a lot. Um, I think this generation has more opportunity and more passion and vigor for the gospel than anyone that I've ever seen before. And I hope and believe that you are the future of the church and the kingdom of God and that you're gonna do it in innovative and exciting ways. And I wanna be cheering loudly from your balcony. But I do believe that for a lot of us, the death of entitlement has to come first. Now, and just in your defense, it's not just you, it's my kids, their generation. I don't even know what they're gonna call them, Generation Z or Generation AA. It's like going through hurricanes. You're running out of letters in the alphabet. Um, I was reminded of this, uh, Saturday is my anniversary. Been married for 18 years to beautiful Audrey Brooks, great. That applause is appreciated, but it is not enough to measure uh, the Richter scale for how much she loves Jesus and was able to love me through that. So I'm very grateful for that. And it, uh, we were looking through some old uh, videos and pictures on our external hard drive the other night and came across one about three years ago. And it was around this time. And I'm in the minivan with the kids, which is the death of my entitlement that I drive a minivan. And we're talking to him, and that day, I think we had taken him out, got him some new clothes for the fall, and had actually taken all of them out to eat food at a restaurant in public, things normally, normally don't do. I don't take my kids out in public, and I don't pay for food they're not gonna eat. Um, and so uh, we're in the minivan, we're getting ready to go home, and I'm like, hey kids, just wanna give you a heads up, cast a little vision here, because I don't want nuclear meltdowns later. But your mom and I, we're gonna go out and see a movie tonight. And I'm gonna spend some alone time with her and I'm gonna kiss her face a lot, okay? And I don't wanna hear you guys say, ew. And my, one of my daughters who renamed Nameless, but Maggie shouts at the top <laughs> of her lungs, what about me? And I'm ready to breathe dragon fire all over this little midget. <laughs> and just say, what about you? This is what we just did, okay? I paid for food that you didn't eat. I put clothes on your back, all right? And just so we're aware, I loved your mother before you little rugrats ever showed up. And since you got on the scene, I begged for leftovers and scraps at the table of her affection and energy, all right? And tonight I'm going to the front of the lines and you sap suckers can get to the back, all right? <laughs> How you like me now? About to take this six cylinder minivan and drive very fast. The problem though is what happens when that little toddler raises its voice inside of me and inside of you and says, what about me? When it wants to scream and shout and pout, hold its breath, stomp its feet at the slightest sign of conflict or inconvenience in the face of commitments we've already made that we know will bring us joy. But when it actually ha requires discipline and sacrifice and inconvenience, I don't know about you, but I can hear it rising up in me. What about me? And I think Paul is going to help us address that question tonight. We talked last week about when the Philippians are rhetorically asking that question, what about me? Paul's responding with, what about the gospel? 
And he's going to unpack that a little bit more tonight. So we're in Philippians chapter 1. We'll start reading in verse 26. Philippians chapter 1, or excuse me, we'll start reading in verse 21. Let me pray for us as you're turning there. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Philippians 1, starting in verse 21. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. What about me? But for your sakes, what about you? It is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Paul's response to the question, what about me? He basically says, hey, if I had to choose, which I can't, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Even if I lose, I win. Life versus more life. What, what an incredible option. And he says, if I'm honest with myself, I'd love to go and be with the Lord. But instead, what about you? I choose you because I want to continue to stay here so that your joy can increase and my joy can increase as we share in the faith and the fellowships of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Basically, what he's saying is when it comes down to me choosing, I choose the progress of the gospel over my own personal preferences. What about me? No, what about you? And I think this is the place where we find ourselves coming to the table tonight, where we're asking that question. I'm reminded of the movie Shawshank Redemption. Um, if you don't know that movie, get familiar with it. Um, you, you need to have it memorized. Andy Dufresne's talking to Red in the prison yard, and Andy says to Red, it basically comes down to this. You've got a choice. Get busy living or get busy dying. Paul flips this saying to the Philippians from his prison cell. He says it basically comes down to this, Christian. You've got a choice. Get busy dying so that you can get busy living. Die to all of your selfish self-centered notions of what you think you're entitled to so that the joy of the resurrection and the cross and the abundant eternal life that's available to you right here and right now will actually be a reality, not a fantasy out there somewhere in the distant future. He's imploring them. And what, what is Paul and Andy Dufresne saying? They're just echoing the words of Martin Luther King Jr. who said this, no one really knows if they're alive or not, until they find something worth dying for. Paul's found something worth dying for. And if you're here tonight and you can go, hey, that sounds great, but I'm not really sure I know what I would die for, then I would simply say this. I'd like to remind you of a man who died for you so that you could become fully alive, so that a way could be made for you to experience his goodness, his glory, 
and his grace. So that's why we come to the table. And I don't know about you, I'm going to have to fight some of the entitlement things that rise up in me as I come to it. Just a reminder, hey, you're not entitled to this table, but you've been invited to it. And that changes your attitude from one that wants to take with your heart to one that receives with it and says, joyfully and generously, Lord Jesus Christ, I receive what you have given so that I can offer it to others. That's the kingdom of God. That's the goal of the Christian life. It's Christ-likeness for the sake of others so that the family of God can expand around the table of God. And that's what we're going to do tonight. But just so we're clear, let me answer that question so that the gospel has been as clearly articulated as I possibly know how. What about me? I was a sinner. I, I was a sinner whose every heart and thought was inclined towards evil. And I wanted my way, regardless of if it violated God's ways or not, or hurt anyone else. I was entitled to condemnation and damnation by a righteous and holy God because I could not live up to those standards and I was rebellious in all of my ways. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ has made a way. And Jesus, who was entitled to share the glory, the gusto, and the goodness with God, chose to empty himself so that he could be obedient even until death upon a cross all so that he could answer the same question. What about me? When he's facing death upon a cross, he actually says, what about me? I wish there was another way. Ask his father, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me. But then what does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. What about me? What about you? What about you? What about you? And what about you? I need to make sure that they have a way to return back to the arms of my Father, and it's going to be through my body and my blood. That's what enables us tonight to have the death of entitlement and embrace the joy of covenant commitment. Amen? So we'll walk through a liturgy that is wonderfully old and beautiful that generations, not just millennials, have been saying for ages in the church. And I invite you to participate along with me. Bless the Lord who forgives all of our sins. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Let us pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, 
We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper, he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, church, we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Amen. So here's how this will work. In just a minute or two, I'll invite the people in the balcony to come down first since you guys are the loudest. And when you come forward, um, there will be people at each of these four stations and then there will also be two, two people right in the middle of the room back there um, in case it gets a little bit crowded and your inner toddler doesn't want to wait in line. You'll come forward and when you do, hey Matt, you can come forward. We'll give you a wafer and we'll look you in the eyes and we're going to place it in your outstretched hands and we'll say the bread of life or the body of Christ and then you get to respond with I will love and be loved. That was a little bit awkward and a little bit too close. That's great. Then hang on to it. You'll dip it into the cup, and I'll say the cup of salvation. There you go, Matt. Good. Haley. The bread of life. The cup of salvation. So I'm going to ask our servers to come up at this time. And here's the deal. If you just meant that confession that we said together, you're welcome at the Lord's table. If you're just considering the claims of Christ or want to figure out how to be a part of the family of Christ, pull one of us aside. I think this is one of the best times. Had somebody come up and take it late in the game uh, one night, said, hey, I just got saved. I'd love to come take communion for the first time. Love it. Makes me so, so happy. But when you're ready, take a minute to prepare your hearts and um, we'll continue to sing over you and with you uh, as we come to the Lord's table tonight. Balcony, when you're ready, you can come. <laughs> 